This is episode number 22 of the Bearded Marketers Podcast, the only internet marketing podcast that matters. I'm Rob. And I'm Corey. We drop new episodes of this podcast every Monday. You can find them on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Blueberry, or of course at our website at beardedmarketers.com, which by the way, I'll mention this now, we'll put pressure on ourselves. (laughs) By the end of this week, when you're listening to this, the new site will be live. It's like Christmas Day. I don't want to make promises, (laughs) but we said it live on air. It's not live, but it's on air. There's proof out there of us giving a deadline. We're going to try to stick to it. So if you have any hate mail, feel free to send it to Rob's house and he'll handle all your requests. (laughs) Anyways, call me at 904-270-9603. If I don't do it, just keep calling. Keep Mm -hmm. calling. Before we get started, as we do every week, let's talk about what we're drinking Rob, what do you got tonight? I'm going boring. Jack and Coke. Pretty oh, simple. Okay. All right. A little bit of lime. A little bit of lime. Nice little kick on the back yeah, end. Absolutely. I'm uh, drinking a sidecar, which is always one of my favorites. So, all right, let's go ahead and get started for tonight. So, this is, again, episode number 22. First, we're going to get started talking about a company that we noticed that did a email blast about getting around Gmail's new tabs, which is actually an interesting case study. We're going to talk about site speed. What do you need to consider? How do you even measure that? What kind of considerations are out there? Wrapping the episode up with emailing old customers, maybe recapturing people that have gone stale, and then Google Plus. And does that influence your rankings? Is there any SEO benefit there? Intriguing. Yeah. So let's get started. For those who do not have a Gmail account, first of all, what are you doing right now? What, what, what are, are you doing, doing with your life? Email? Exactly. Think about it for a minute. But for the, okay, so for those who don't know, there are new tabs that have been introduced into Gmail's layout which essentially sort, auto-sort people's email for them into, I think the default categories are like primary, social, and promotions. Correct. I think those, yeah. Mm-hmm. So those are three ones. So obviously Facebook emails and things get filtered out of your main inbox to go to the social tab. Filters from, or emails from my man Corey, they stay on my primary tab. Yes. And all those, all those emails I get from all those stores that I've purchased things from, those get auto-filtered out into the promotions tab. And I don't actually get the notifications, for instance, on my phone that they came in or anything like that. Mm-hmm. You actually have to log into your account and notice that there's a little icon next to your promotions tab to even know that they're there. Those things considered, obviously, open rates and subsequently traffic from mm-hmm. email campaigns has gone down drastically for everyone who has a large list of Gmail users. Yeah, for anyone that's maybe new to the podcast, we've covered this in the past. Uh, MailChimp's blog actually had an interesting post about this where they had noticed with their partners anywhere between a 1% to 5% decrease in open rates. But what was interesting is they did some testing for a while to try to usurp Gmail's logic of putting emails into these tabs, and they really couldn't find a sustainable or consistent way to do that. And regardless... With your big provider like MailChimp and you publish a trick anyways, Gmail is probably going to pick it up and make it not work anymore anyways. Right. But, you know, they they did try for quite a while to get around these rules. And, you know, they said directly in the article, Google is just really good at what they do and we couldn't find a reliable way to do that. So fast forward to today, we noticed that, you know, a company that we follow and have purchased from in the past has tried to you know, maybe get around this. So why don't you tell them a little bit about what you saw? Yeah. So in addition to this email that I've, that I've noticed, I've also noticed a lot of um, emails coming through that are seemingly more personalized, Mm -hmm. trying to include my name, things like that. It seems like people are trying to test out what the different things are to get through this um, into the primary tab. But this is the first one I, I saw. This was an email from West Elm. The topic of it was basically 
explaining how to Gmail users, how to get West Elm emails to show up in the primary tab. And that was the sole purpose of it. So the headline, right. Yeah. There was nothing actually else going on in the email itself. So the headline, when you opened up the email and you read it, it said, we love seeing you every day. And it just jumped straight into, um, here, here are three different ways you can sort of make sure that West Elm um, gets into your primary tag. You can click and drag, and then, um, you know, you can set up a, a filter for it and all these sorts of things. Yeah, maybe what we'll do is we'll tweet out a picture of this as well so you can kind of see what we are talking about as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I just thought it was, I don't know, it was like such a drastic difference from from any other, I guess, campaign I've ever seen for someone trying to explain to users how to use things. It was just very straightforward. Mm-hmm. And here's an email to stop us from going into your spam filter, I guess, really. It it was pretty interesting. I mean, the execution of it probably could have been done a little bit better. It was very text-heavy, and Mm -hmm. I don't know. I I feel like the presentation could have probably been a a bit better. Uh, But it it, it was interesting to see such a large retailer try to address this problem so directly and not wrapped up into anything. I mean, this was a sole purpose of the email uh, to try to, again, get attention to their emails and get around this element. So, you know, the takeaway for us was, you know, maybe this is a route to take with some of your users. I think what you might want to do is test into this. Maybe only send it to a batch of your visitors. Also should go without mentioning, but make sure when you do an email blast like this, where it's very targeted, that you're only sending it to Gmail people, not <laughs> should go without that, saying well, and that people that open it up, it has nothing to do with them. But <laughs> Being that as it is, maybe this is something you want to test into. The route that West Elm went was very aesthetically pleasing, which goes along with their brand, but it was also very text-heavy. And when I'm trying to do something very technical like that, and you just have big blocks of text, it's a little difficult because sometimes you're kind of doing things in steps, and now I'm trying to find my place in a paragraph to try to find where what yeah. I need to do next. So What I was actually thinking when I was reading that is that they should have just had a sort of little picture that was just very mm-hmm. easy to understand that sort of showed you dragging an email over right. and where you should move it with an Maybe arrow. Maybe like a very optimized animated GIF or something like yeah, that. Yeah, if that were possible. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. And, you know, it reminds me of sort of when you sign up for email newsletters, and this is something I've ignored for years because I felt Gmail handled spam so well, you know, the sort of little explanation of, we'll add us to your whitelist so mm-hmm. that, you know, we show up in your inbox. So I wonder if we're now going to start seeing if you sign up for newsletters with a Gmail email address, an explanation of how to get things into your primary right. um, tab. So that'll be interesting to see if yeah, people be start rolling to that kind up. of watch that space. But keep in mind, if you've noticed some email statistic changes, that Gmail has been doing this for a while, uh, and it might be something that you might want to address with your Gmail customers, just keep in mind that because you're explaining something very technical, Probably run it through a usability panel or get a couple people that might be less technically inclined to read over your email, make sure they understand what you're trying to describe. And again, maybe test a small group of your people just to see how they respond. So keep that in mind for your Gmail users. Moving right along, site speed. So we've talked a lot about this over the course of this podcast because I can't emphasize enough really how important it is and something that gets ignored by marketers uh, and analytic types quite a bit. They almost silo it off as, you know, that's what the technology team should focus on. But it does make a big difference. I mean, if we're directing people to landing pages that take a long time to load, especially if we're running a test to understand what web page is working better, how fast it's loading and the whole experience plays a lot into the success or the potential success of that page. So again, site speed is really important, especially in today's day and age with 
fast internet connections, we've come to expect these sorts of things. It was different, you know, in 96 when we were on AOL with our Microsoft Encarta CDs and things like <laughs> that. The internet browsing experience was painfully slow, but that's what we were accustomed to. That was the normal. That's not the case anymore. So we've mentioned it in the past, but we wanted to give you some more direct ways on how do you really address site speed and what are the things that you should be paying attention to? And first and foremost, it should be said that Google has come out quite strongly in numerous times saying that they consider site speed a quality measure of your site and it does influence your site rankings. So number one, in the marketing space, you are in the business of getting visitors. And if you're website is causing a detriment to that, you need to pay attention to it as someone that owns marketing. So site speed is something that you need to pay attention to because it can influence the number of leads or customers. Along those lines, there's been a couple studies on when you get into the site speed realm, what does Google or Yahoo pay attention to? And so far what the research has borne out is they pay attention to what's known as the speed to deliver the first byte of information back to the user. So you can keep that in mind when you're looking to benchmark your site on what changes that you've done and what the effects have been. I'm going to tweet out a article on eConsultancy that gives you some benchmark of some regular sites out there so you can kind of see how you stack up. But first byte is something that you might want to pay attention to along with some other metrics on how your site stacks up and again, what the efforts you're doing have paid off to. So a couple things that you want to make sure that you're measuring is first, how fast does your site load fully? Just from when someone requests your website to it's done. All the JavaScript's loaded, all your images are loaded. It's important to pay attention to that also, what a lot of people don't really mention quite a bit, but I think is important, is I, I think that when we look at load times and how people describe those, it's one thing to measure when the page is fully loaded, but if you consider yourself and when you're on a site, uh, I'm probably more likely to abandon a site that has not shown any progress in five seconds. However, if a website has loaded its header and maybe its main navigation at five seconds, I might be a little bit more apt to stay and stick around because I'm actually seeing some progress. So another uh, site speed metric that you might want to pay attention to is render time. So how long does it take your website and server to communicate back and forth to user till it actually starts displaying elements to the browser and the visitor? Because that's important. I mean, it's one thing to take five seconds to load your site. It's another thing and, and something you might want to pay attention to before it actually starts showing things to visitors. Because like I said, people might be more willing to stick around if they see some progress. So maybe you want to handle your optimization in that sense or talk to your IT team. How can we get this render time down to where we're actually starting to show items to users and some progress? What you also want to pay attention to as well is caching. So there can be a great difference on your first visit to the website versus a repeat visit. So when you are benchmarking your site or looking at how fast it's loading, make sure you've dumped everything. Make sure you've dumped your cookies and your cache, because if you visited your site recently or your browser has a cache, your load time could be vastly different than someone brand new to your site. So keep that in mind. From a tools standpoint, a great one out there that you can look at, which is actually totally free, is webpagetest.org. does a great job of looking at your site, different load times, but what, what I really like about it is you can also, one, pick different locations that it's loading your site from, so you can kind of get a holistic view of how mine is stacking up. 
but it also gives you optimization advice as well. So now you have a tangible takeaway to give to your technology team and talk about what are the possibilities of this? What what are the priorities of each one of these optimizations? What's the impact and what's the work involved as well? Wanted to give you some more tangible takeaways from PageSpeed because it is a big deal for us to consider. And one last note I'll mention on this uh, because again, we've mentioned this before in the past is this is becoming very important, especially in the tablet and mobile space. Sometimes people accessing from these sites don't have the quickest connection. Where your site might load in a reasonable amount of time on a desktop or a laptop or some other methods, keep in mind your mobile and tablet traffic that might not have the fastest uh, internet connection speed and what those experiences might be as well. And that's, I think, along with other factors really driving this concentration into the speed of websites debate and why it's becoming more increasingly popular. So it is important. It is something that you should focus on in a marketer, and it can make the difference in you getting leads or customers versus your competitors, especially depending on what method they're taking to get to your site. You know, if I'm searching for car insurance and I click search listing from Google, your site's taking a long time. Well, hitting the back button to me is a guaranteed I have another option. It's ready. It's ready for me. And for me to find another person to give me something very similar is an easy action for me. So site speed is a big concern for a lot of marketers and can really influence your data. So pay attention to it. We're going to tweet out some more information for you for some takeaways on how we can get our sites better. But it is something that we should focus on. Yeah, absolutely. I think you I mean, I think you definitely touched on a lot of the major points there. Um I think one thing that's definitely important, and I know you mentioned this before, but I really want to drive that home, is that I think when a lot of marketing managers or people test their own site, like you said, they've already got cached everything on their web page, so they pull it up and they're like, what do you mean? It's quick. Mm-hmm. But it's because you've already had everything loaded into your cache in your browser. So an easy way for people to do that is to just open up a new incognito tab in Google Chrome. There are ways to do that in Firefox as well. But with Chrome, it's an easy way to just open a new tab that has no cache attached to it and see how fast your site loads. It's it's something that I don't I feel like I don't notice slow sites very often online, but it's definitely something where if a site is slow, especially if I'm trying to go through a process of any kind of like maybe mm-hmm. filling out a complex lead form or shopping on a site, the site's slow, I'm out of there. Mm-hmm. I'll maybe come back later, but I'll probably forget about it, but it's something that I I don't have the patience for anymore. Yeah, and what makes it difficult for me in particular is most places that I access the internet from are pretty quick, you know, but luckily we live in a well-developed metro area where I have, you know, LTE on my phone, and then I have business class connections at my house and work to access. So I think sometimes we forget about the internet experiences of other, other people that might be on slower connections and don't take those into consideration, which might be a surprising amount of your visitors if you actually look in your analytics to uh, get that information. So site speed, pay attention to it. It's important. It'll make people angry. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This is a study I looked at through Marketing Sherpa, our friends over at MarketingSherpa.com. This is about, I guess, sort of trying to reconnect with old customers who haven't interacted with your brand in a while. So let's say you've got an email list. You've been running for a while, maybe a few dusting years. Dusting it off. Yeah, dusting it off. <laughs> no, we're not dusting it off. You, you know you email them every <laughs> chance you get, every other day, every week, whatever it is. But at the same time, looking at your stats, you've still got a huge segment in your um, contact list that hasn't opened or interacted in any way in a year or more. You know, So what are some ways we can maybe get some of these people back? What are some tricks, some subject lines, scheduling things? You know, What are the possible tactics we can use to get these people back? So 
Marketing Sherpa ran a little test where basically this was just a subject line difference. So they pulled up this list. They ran a, a split so this test. Is, this is an in-house test for marketing. This is, Sherpa. Well, this is not from marketing Sherpa. Oh. This is from a brand, and this is okay. a case study from Brandside Marketer okay. on the Sherpa website. So they're explaining how they ran this site of like they pulled the segment of year plus people who have not interacted, and they ran two headlines against it. So the first one was save an additional ten percent for a limited time only. I haven't heard that one before. Right, what Sean was <laughs> going to say is a terrible <laughs> headline, but the other one is. As our valued customer, get an additional 10% for a limited time only. Mm-hmm. Which to me, just surface-wise, I don't like any one of those headlines. <laughs> and honestly, if I haven't interacted with your brand in a year or more, I feel like you're lying to me. I'm obviously not a valued customer because I don't buy anything from you. Mm-hmm. And I'm also wondering why I still haven't filtered your emails out of my account <laughs> Thanks for the at reminder. this point. <laughs> but nonetheless, so the difference was a 10% increase in open rates for the including the as our valued customer part. Just okay. an extra three or four little words at the beginning, mm-hmm. picking up people who hadn't interacted in a long time. I thought that was interesting because, number one, like I just said, as a valued customer, you're obviously not a valued customer. And just such a simple headline actually got the interaction, which hadn't happened for over a year. Well, I wonder, though, it would be interesting, and I don't think, because I looked at the study, I don't think they included any past history, but are you breaking from the mold with that? You know, is for a limited time, 10% off or whatever, what I always see. And now I'm seeing a radically different or semi-radically different headline from you. Um, And it's not necessarily the wording that created the change. It's just the, I'm so accustomed to expect X that, you know, anything different kind of piques my interest. You know, now that you say that, I wonder if there may actually be some confusion here. So they get an email that says, as a valued customer, they may actually assume that this is someone they had just purchased from right. and like not actually read this from like mm-hmm. and went to open it. So I, they didn't, I don't think they included stats on overall conversion. Probably because they con- didn't, right. material. <laughs> didn't have them or whatever. But I think that that is an interesting thing to note. They also tested using 15% instead of 10%. And they, there was no difference. Interesting. I've always wondered, you know, with some of these sale emails, what would a off the wall number do for you? I mean, you obviously have to make it probably substantial past 15 or something like that. But I just find that that would be so quirky and something I'd never see in my email box that it would like catch my eye, like a 17.71% off sale just for you. Dude, that's the number I was just thinking in my mind. I'm not even kidding right now. That's crazy. <laughs> All right, so when we do start the Bearded Marketers newsletter, and win which, the lottery on the same numbers, which by the way, <laughs> it will be launched by next Friday. Mm-hmm. Trust me. Um, everyone needs to join. We will send out newsletters like that. Okay. Yeah. We'll see what so, we get. Again, I, I think that retouching with your customers is important. You know, varying up your tactics is obviously something that's pretty standard in case, but it is an interesting study from Sherpa. You know, add in some more personalized information about how much you're valuing. People might get a click through, but make sure when you're doing these email tests that click through is not your only measure. You want to measure what are people actually doing as a result of this email. I mean, attention is good um, and that's some of the goals of email, but you're also trying to elicit a response. So maybe vary up your tactics a bit, maybe play around with your sales. Maybe it's asking them to engage you, whether that's frequency or what you would like to see them carry or a bunch of other things, Um, but start that conversation. And I think that you'll have a, uh, a good way to re-engage with people. Or, you know what, I haven't seen in a while other than Facebook doing it. But depending on your social connections with your customers, it would be interesting 
to send out emails based on social pressure. Check out some of the things that Anna has been buying on our site or something like Tw- that. Or... Twitter sends those to mm-hmm. me all the time. I immediately ignore them. <laughs> um, they're kind of, they, tri- they word them trickily sometimes. Mm-hmm. So I still open them and I go, damn it, every time. <laughs> you got me. <laughs> but yeah, I don't think I've ever, other than the actual social networks themselves, I've never really seen emails that have in some added right. social pressure like that so maybe something to consider maybe uh people go dormant and they need to be reminded that some people in their social circle or maybe celebrities or things like that if you have endorsement deals to kind of show the relevance to their life that your brand might have i think percent off is a very easy and cheap way to do it but i don't i don't know if that's necessarily the long-term value add maybe it's that they need to buy back into your brand and i don't necessarily think a sales amount maybe does that work sometimes so Think about some radical ways to do that. Wrapping up the episode. So there was some tantalizing data. <laughs> Lean in and listen really close. It's super secret. <laughs> so if you're not familiar with the search engine land and Moz, they do quite a bit of work in the SEO space. They're starting to branch out into some other areas, um, but that's really their bread and butter and what they've been successful at. But Moz teamed up with some of their scientists and some other people in the industry and released this very in-depth blog article where they explored the idea that Google Pluses, or what should be actually more accurate, Google Plus posts, correlate to your search engine results. And they did this really in-depth year-long study on analyzing brands that do Google Plus interactions and specifically posts on Google+, and did that materially make any difference in their SEO? Now, if you're anyone like me and you pay attention to stats and you think about psychology, there's been studies about this in the past with other social networks like Facebook. And I think that oftentimes what gets lost is there's some overlapping effects there. Yes, Facebook likes can be a marker of search engine ranking, but that's also because more people are paying attention right. to it. There's more traffic. So it's it's kind of... Classic correlation. Right, not exactly. Causation. Not causation. But in this case, they took a different approach with the study, and I'm not going to go into the nitty gritty uh, because I think it's actually worth a read and you'll actually see the, the amount of research that went into it. But they specifically tackled that issue and, and talk about the data is such that it can't be just a correlation feature that there actually is some causation to this and particular they said it's not necessarily related to google pluses but it's actually the post aspects of it and the fact of that google immediately crawls an index post which i actually didn't know they're also really well formatted for seo and how they build in their own description description tags each post actually gets its own unique URL, which is on Facebook and, and on um, other social networks. You don't get that unique ability with your post to build in content. And I've often suspected that because this is a Google product, there is probably some things to be to be gained here that either they're being silent about or investing in the future. They're not really sure where they're going with this product or what the future holds, um, and I think it's worth your time and investment to to potentially get more on board with Google Plus, uh, shuttle some people over there, and uh, and potentially interact with them because of what it can give you as a brand. Yeah, absolutely. I think it makes sense. I know. I know for a long time, like you were sort of saying with Facebook likes and interactions and things like that, that people were sort of maybe guessing or mm-hmm. thinking that there was probably a positive correlation there, or maybe even causation. But I think the problem with that would have been that Google doesn't have the sort of access they need to Facebook's mm-hmm. data to really make that a real situation. Sure. 
Um, so with Google Plus, obviously, now they do have all that data. And even if you hide things as private, they've got the access. They can sort of count those links as votes mm-hmm. towards sites. And they've got the plus one data all plugged in with on a, a URL basis and even on domains. So it's it's definitely instead of just completely having to rely on links like Google has always had to had to do. Right. They can now enter, um, you know, use Google Pluses. And I know that there was there's been some discussion, too, about Google trying to link author profiles with people and sort of know who important people are, not mm-hmm. just important websites. Well, they talk about that in this article and not necessarily the additional weight that they might give your Google profile, but SEO gains that you can have by sticking out of the results. So for people that aren't familiar with, you can integrate your site as a author with Google+, and essentially that creates ownership of your Google Plus content. And what you can do is actually link this to your domain. Uh, so Google knows what website is actually distributing this content. And if you have a profile picture, depending on a couple factors, when someone searches for a key term, it doesn't necessarily have to be your brand. If your site comes up, your Google profile authorship picture will come up as well. So it actually makes it pretty strikingly different experience from the search results. And there has been quite a few studies that that show that having a personalized picture gives you some uh, believability and credibility and people are more likely to click through. So there are uh, numerous benefits with Google+. Plus. I think there's a lot of people that still don't use it, so they don't think it really matters or it's just a small segment of their population. But Google Plus does have some pretty neat features that you can use to interact with your fans, uh, like their Hangout feature is maybe something that some more companies should explore and having an easy video conferencing or product release or things like that that can handle large audiences. So give Google Plus another go around. There is data, especially in this post, that shows it's actually worth the effort. There are some serious things to be had and gained from it. So make sure that you're mixing that into your social repertoire with your media team and, and creating your own strategy on what does your Google Plus space look like? How are you going to interact? Because it is a little different than some of the other social sites out there. So you might want to tweak instead of just blasting everything in aggregate on Twitter, Facebook, and Google+, you might want to take a slightly different tactic on that space, but it's worth your time. That's it for this week. Covered kind of a wide range today. Email, site speed, got into some social. But this has been Corey and Rob. We're the Bearded Marketers. This has been episode number 22. If you have some ideas on some topics that either you need help with, you're pulling out your hair, your boss is yelling at you, and you just don't know what to do, give us a call, 904-270-9603, or if you have some more information on any topics that we cover tonight, what are some of your email strategies for recovering old customers, or getting around some of the filters, or even what your experiences has been with Google+, we'd love to hear them. Keep an eye out for the new site by the end of next week, Rob said it, you heard it, so hate mail goes to him, but I'm sure it'll be going live that we got some really good stuff that's coming out so i'm pretty excited about that so we will talk to you next week have a good rest of your week and this is the beer Marketers.